welcome those who joined us online this morning as well. And we're excited. I think we saw that video a couple of weeks ago too, but follow us online and you can hear about the mission efforts that we are supporting. Check out our wall on the way out. You can actually just see on a map who we are supporting. There's a, a pad there where you can look up who they are, send prayer requests. And I want you to, I'm asking you to be prayerful next week as we bring an offering uh, to support some of these amazing efforts and what God is doing around the world. I also want to make you aware of something coming up in just a few weeks. You'll see this if you open up your bulletin on a flap. There's a little note that I, I write to you, and I've been changing that up every week, thinking about throwing in there, like if you come and tell me something in this, I'll give you a package of Skittles or something, because for a long time it was the same thing. I've been trying to change that up. We have something coming up in a few weeks. And every, every November, there's a family reunion. It's, um, it's our youth group. They have a youth group retreat called Family Reunion. And this year, the whole church is going to, somewhat come alongside of what they're doing. So Family Reunion is going to do their thing Friday night through Sunday morning, but we're going to have our prayer vigil that will begin Wednesday night, November 7th at 8 o'clock, and it will go all the way to Sunday morning, November 11th. So beginning next week, we're going to have a couple of weeks where you can sign up for one-hour slots to come up here to the building to pray as we have 84 hours of unbroken prayer. And there are a few events I want you to be a part of. One is I'm encouraging you, your family, our life group, sign up for an hour together. And then Friday night, November 9th at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a worship service here in this room led by Kip and, and uh, students from our youth ministry. And then Sunday following worship on November 11th, we're going to have a potluck. And who wants to miss one of those? We thought the best way for family reunion to end is to end with the, with the family coming together to eat. So please uh, put that on your calendar. We'd love for you to be a part. Uh, this morning, I woke up at 4 o'clock outside of Fort Worth and jumped on a plane, and I landed just a little while ago, and so I'm running on a few hours of sleep. Some of you may be doing the same, and, and he, here's why. Uh, two weeks ago on a Monday, I knew my mom had had some tests that she, that, that she had been to a doctor's office multiple times, and I called her two weeks ago, two weeks ago tomorrow, I called her on a Monday and just to see if the doctors had called her back. And I called, and she said, the doctor called 15 minutes ago, and I, I have breast cancer. And for two days, we waited for my mom to get results back. And for two days, some of you have had to live this. The uncertainty, the anxiety, all these questions of the unknown of what's this going to be like? What's the journey? How bad is it? Is, is my mom going to make it another year? And all these questions just surrounding us. And I and then we got the word that they feel really good about moving forward. She's going to have surgery in a couple of weeks, five days of radiation, no chemo. But even when you get news, it sounds kind of good. Like you don't want to hear the word cancer inside or on any of your people, right? So ever since last Monday, I was like, I've got to get to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I just miss my mom. I just wanted to hug her. And then I, I, I know I'm wrestling with what some of you have wrestled with for much of your life. Like, what does it mean to be a faithful child of parents when they're going through things? Like, especially when you live far away, like, when do you need to be there? And what do you need to show up for? And, and then my dad called two days after I heard this news about my mom. And my dad said, and he was crying. My dad doesn't cry. He was raised in a family where you do not cry. You'll get punished if you cry. And my dad said, the Chamber of Commerce just called. And next Saturday night, your mom is going to be awarded the Citizen of the Year Award for Decatur, Texas. So this is a little town city that makes up the dozens of towns and cities that make up the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And there's only one a year. It's not a Citizen of the Year Award. It is the Citizen of the Year Award for, 
her work with opening up a brand new grief center and counseling center and the impact that is having on their entire community. So when I heard that, I was like, they were going to surprise her last night. I thought, I've got to go. So last Sunday, I looked online and I pulled up flights and I was like, woohoo, I don't know if I can go. But then I was like, I mean, if there's anyone in the world you need to go anti-Dave Ramsey on, sometimes it's your mom, right? So I was like, swipe the card. You got to be there. I could think of other relatives. Like I would have been like, there's no way I'm going, but it's your mom. So I flew in and they had us in this back room and my mom had no clue she won this award. And she goes up on the stage and she given, she's giving her speech and then they bring us out from this back room and we're standing up behind her. And my mom's holding this award, giving this speech to hundreds of people who are the movers and shakers in this town. And then she begins to thank her family and she turns around and then she sees me and my mom loses it. And she's like, you came from Memphis? And I went, I gave her a hug, and everybody stood up, and they're applauding for us. And, and then my brother's back there, and he's like, why didn't, why didn't mom get excited? Because I was here. I mean, I, <laughs> he just lives a couple of miles from her. And he's like, she, she turned around. She didn't do anything for me. It's just that she sees you, and she's just all excited. Yeah, just could not be more proud of who my mom is and the journey of the last two weeks and all the emotions. I'm, I feel so scattered and distracted this morning. But I ask you to pray for, for my mom. My mom's a fighter. She's courageous. She's brave. And she's one who's looking at this, and she's like, I'm not just going to fight it. People are going to hear about the hope of Jesus as I fight it. So lift her up. I wanted to be back with you today. There's a sermon I've been dying to preach, <laughs> excited to preach. I did have a backup plan this morning because my flights were delayed, and it was going to be a coin toss between Mark Taylor and my two boys. And <laughs> they're like, Dad, we'll do it for you. How much do we get paid? And I'm like, room and board. Like, what do you, like, what do you think? Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. We're in this journey in Mark. Some of you have read this part of your Bible hundreds of times, and I'm sure there are some people in this room, and you have never read this before. And no matter where you are as we open up the Word of God, let's join together asking God to speak a fresh word to us today. In Mark chapter 7, verse 1, it says, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem. Now, I just want you to catch an image real quick of teachers of the law and Pharisees who their desire at this point in the ministry of Jesus, they are following Jesus wherever he goes, trying to catch him and things he is doing. So they don't have the best motives to be there. They come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus, and they saw that some of his disciples eating food, they were eating food with hands that were defiled. That is, they weren't washed. And then you have in parentheses in your Bibles, like the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. This is not a holding to a command in the Bible. This is a tradition that has been handed on that they now honor as if it was from the Bible. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? <coughs> Excuse me. And Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. 
you have let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses says, honor your mom and dad, your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything uh, for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Jesus went right after him, right? And then Jesus called the crowd to him. And, and I just get the image. Like he doesn't dismiss the Pharisees or calls the crowd away from them. So they're in the presence of all these people. He says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that, that defiles them. And after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about his parable. And Jesus said, are you so dull? Like, don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside can make them unclean, but it doesn't, for, for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And he went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within. Out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evil come from inside and devile a person. Can we bow our heads? God, I I stand up here today. I haven't had much sleep. I'm a little distracted. My heart's in a few different places. But God, I stand and, and voice in front of people I dearly love. God, I don't want this sermon in the few minutes I have on this stage to be about me or even my family. God, I... I'm asking for you to use this platform to declare the good news about Jesus. Wherever someone needs to be set free today, set them free. Wherever conviction needs to happen in this room, God, please have your way with us. My prayer is that the words I say will honor who you are, and if they don't, that they will fall to the ground and be trampled and not be remembered at all. But if my words this morning honor your character, your nature, and who you are, may those words sink deep into our hearts and mess with us and bear great fruit. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I remember I shared with you a few years ago that there's a a zoo in Denver where they were making a brand new polar bear exhibit. But to do this, they had to take the polar bears and put them in a temporary exhibit, which was very small. And then that temporary exhibit, for months, all that polar bear could do was walk, take three steps, and then turn around and take three steps And then it would turn around and take three steps over and over for weeks and months. And then they opened up this brand new exhibit with all kind of toys and fun. And they let the polar bear go. And guess what the polar bear did? Went three steps and turned around. Three steps and turned around. All this freedom, all this new stuff. But the polar bear only knew what it had lived in for months. And how often the Pharisees did this. And the Jews, where they, all their life, their childhood, they were taught three steps, turn around. Right? This, is, this is the rules we play by. Here are the boundaries. And how often we can do this in church too. That you do three steps and turn around. And this is the tradition. This is how we've always done it. And God is setting people free. And giving us all this freedom. Yet sometimes all we've been trained in is three steps and turn around. But we can't do that new thing because that would mean five steps and turn around. And all we've ever done is three steps and turn around. So here's a question in the text we read in Mark 7 today. And what Kip and the praise team led us in even in Psalm 24. What does it mean to be clean? 
What does it mean to be pure? When you think about something that's pure or clean, what do you think of? Maybe you think of gold or diamonds or an innocent baby. Or when you think about clean or pure, you think about innocence or virginity. You think, what does it mean to be clean or pure? I bet some of you read Mark 7 or while I was reading it, you thought about the Pharisees and what they had to say about, like, hey, man, people need to wash hands before they eat. And some of you are like, I kind of side with the Pharisees on this one. You should wash hands. If the Old Testament doesn't have a command about washing hands, the New Testament needs a command about washing hands before you eat, right? We make our kids do this. This is something that needs to be done. And, and, but what does it mean to be clean? And Jesus is trying to point everything back to the heart, to set the heart right, to set actions right. But I think where we often wrestle in the church, it's not what does it mean to be clean or what does it mean to be pure, it's how do we enforce the rules God has given us? How do we enforce or call people to obedience? And this is where I think it gets hard. Do you, have you ever been in a workplace or a restaurant or somewhere in public where there are rules, but they are not enforced and it drives you nuts? Because sometimes there are rules and we'll press right up against them. Or we want to know what are the consequences and are there consequences if I break them? So there are times for people who like to smoke, well, smoking, non-smoking, and I'm sure that drives some of you nuts. There are times where they've made rules in grocery stores that there are 10 items or less, and somebody with 37 items and 22 coupons gets in the line. Ever happened to you? I know people who will tell me that depending on where I'm driving, they will tell me how much you can go over before the cops will stop you there. So people will say, well, from Jackson to Nashville, you can go seven, eight, maybe even nine over, and they won't stop you. But if you're going to Harding and Searcy, don't even go one mile per hour over. They'll get you. So it's not just what does it mean to be clean or what does it mean to be pure? What are the rules that keep us there? But how do we enforce them? And what does this mean for the next generation? Because there are two different ways we can go about rule keeping. One is... You need to keep the rule because there are consequences. And the other is you need to keep the rule because here's the good it's going to do if you keep the rule. And the Bible talks about both. The breaking commands of God and disobeying, there are severe consequences. Yet honoring the commands, sometimes you may not even know why, but honoring them, it does a lot of good, not just for you, but for the whole world. There were a lot of commands and rules my parents set up in our house that I didn't know why we had to do it. There were certain things we could watch or we couldn't watch. I was with a buddy this past week. His 16 and 18-year-old boys are so mad at him because he will not let them listen to Eminem's new album outside of the clean version. And they just don't understand why their dad would do that. My parents had rules. If you get caught watching Baywatch, you're grounded for a week. Get caught watching TRL, that's two weeks. Spring break edition of TRL with Bill Bellamy, that's three weeks. All right? I mean, there were, there were certain rules. I mean, this is why we set rules of no rated R movies or parental control or, or when it comes to dating. I remember listening to Willie Franklin, a guy who spoke at a lot of youth rallies, and his rule for his kids in dating were you had to date in groups of 20 or you had to date... A double date with mom and dad, and who wants that? And when you date, one of the rules is you never, ever, under any circumstance, touch something that has to be clothed twice. So there were all these rules that had to be set up. 
and boundaries that are set up for good. So it's what is clean, what is pure, what is right, what are the rules, what are the commands, and why do we obey them? How do we enforce them? Because Jesus, in this, in this place in Mark 7, Jesus affirms a couple things. He affirms the Word of God. He goes straight to the Bible, Isaiah. And Jesus affirms commands. And I think it was easy for Jews in those days when they thought even about the Ten Commandments to honor the first few of, hey, we don't want to like actually bow down to idols. But then there were the last five, six, or seven that they often broke regularly. Staying within the boundaries and not breaking rules doesn't automatically develop a craving for God in your life. Let me say it like this. Breaking rules and engaging in forms of impurity can lead to deep forms of bondage, right? Here's the thing, too. Keeping rules, yet not craving the heart of God, can lead to severe forms of bondage, too. Rule-keeping is to develop a heart and a craving for God and for righteousness, So if we're just obeying the rules, but there's no craving for God, what it does is it turns people into legalists and fundamentalists. A few days ago, I was speaking at a nonprofit in San Antonio. I went to church camp outside of San Antonio. So I got there a little early. I was going to drive by this church camp out in the middle of nowhere, and I pulled into the driveway, and because all the floods that are happening in the Austin-San Antonio area, I couldn't get through the driveway to enter into camp. But right there with the river that was flooding was the area where we used to hang out. There would be a girl's swim time and then a guy's swim time. And the girls, while they were swimming, would shave their legs. And when the guys got down there, shaving cream was just floating all over the river. We would baptize people there. We would swim there. Our diving board was we climbed to the top of a 10-foot tree trunk that hung over the river, and we jumped off of it. I was telling these stories to Casey, and she was like, did you go to church camp like in an episode of Duck Dynasty? Like, what is this? Yet I was reminiscent of all these wonderful memories and even how the grace of God found us there. But it also made me reminisce. I went to a church camp where there were a couple of years where in the classes, I did not hear the name God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. What I heard was, here's what needs to happen for you to turn into a really good Church of Christ boy and girl for the rest of your life. Don't do FCA because we don't know what they're going to teach in there. Don't do young life because we don't know what they're going to teach in there. But here's how you honor and stay within the church of Christ. And here's why you got to do it. And it wasn't developing a love for God. So I had friends who I grew up with going to church camp. And some of them developed deep cravings for God. And some of them found themselves in bondage because of sin. And some of them found themselves in bondage because of legalism. And Jesus has come to set us free from all of it. This is the age-old problem. That anytime we reduce religion to rule keeping and playing by our rules and just hoping that it leads to heart change, crossing our fingers, it maybe will lead to heart change, but here's where the church often gets it wrong. Is that sometimes what we say is, hey, we need people to obey the rules and act like they're obeying them. And if it doesn't create heart change, but they're obeying the rules, then hey, we'll be all right with that. Instead of setting an expectation of whatever rules and commands God has given us, or so we can develop a heart for God, not a heart just for the rules. 
So Jesus says to, the, to these Pharisees, he's like, man, you're saying all the right things. You know the Bible? You're making the confessions. You're saying all the right things, yet your heart is not following your confession. Your motives are not keeping pace with your statement. Your intentions, your actions aren't keeping pace with the confession that you're making. And as Jesus said that to the Pharisees, did any of your hearts like feel this like, I don't, want, I don't want God to look at me and quote Isaiah one day saying, your lips testify about me, but your, 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 heart's, not, your heart's not with me. Your actions aren't with me. So here's what Jesus teaches up to this point in the book of Mark. Here are four things. I want you to consider these. Number one is this. Jesus touches the untouchable. So there were some people you weren't supposed to touch or they weren't supposed to touch you. Jesus touches the untouchable, whether they were sick or they were full of leprosy, whatever it may be. Jesus touches the people other people were taught in synagogue not to touch. Maybe it was because part of Jesus, there was this rebellious nature to him, but it wasn't just because he was a rebel. It's because Jesus was working in this, this cosmic way to heal the world, to drive out demons and let people know how much they matter. The second thing is this, Jesus takes liberty with cleansing rituals. So there were times where Jesus wasn't enforcing some of the man-made traditions that had been handed, handed down to the people of God. So even when it came to eating, like when Jesus fed the 5,000, he didn't hand out the bread and fish and then say, everybody hold up, germ squirts coming around first. It's like, hey, here's bread and fish. And, and there were times where he didn't pause and take a time out for everyone to obey all the other traditions that had been handed down to them. He takes liberty with cleansing rituals. Number three, Jesus is not held in bondage by special days on the calendar. And this drove people nuts. It's what ended up part of what got him killed is that on the Sabbath day, Jesus kept doing good things like healing diseases, which people took like Jesus was working and disobeying the Sabbath. He, he, didn't, he wasn't held in bondage by that. And the fourth thing is Jesus redefines purity from the inside out. Because here's the thing. It becomes so easy for us to live in a way where we try to have an appearance of purity or an appearance of righteousness, yet our heart's not in the right place. I want to be a person of kindness, yet in my heart I have hatred, and sooner or later that hatred's going to come out if you don't deal with it. So here are two statements I want to give you. Feel free to take a picture of them, write them down. What we learned about Jesus in Mark 7 is Jesus doesn't neglect purity. Jesus redefines purity. He doesn't neglect it. He doesn't like, do away with or try to minimize the commands of God that have been handed down. It's that he redefines purity in a way where, hey, because of what I want to do for you, because what I've done in you, there is a, there's a way of life that you were called to. And the second is, is this, holiness, the holiness of God, being pure with God. It needs to be protected. We need boundaries. Holiness also needs to spread. The next two stories in Mark chapter 7. I don't have time to walk through these with you. The next two stories. One is a Gentile woman who comes to Jesus because her daughter is demon-possessed. And Jesus ends up healing the daughter. And the next story is Jesus going into Gentile territory to heal a man. So it's like Jesus is teaching them about what it means to be clean and then opening them up to this whole new way of God where all people are being drawn into this Amazing story. And here's the thing about Jesus, and this is good news for all of us, and especially for some of you need to hear this today, is that the way of Jesus, like when all these unclean people came into the presence of Jesus and a woman who was bleeding touched him and 
A man who's been living in the tombs comes into his presence, and Jesus touches a person with leprosy. When, when people who were unclean came into Jesus' presence, they did not make Jesus unclean. You can come to Jesus with your worst, and you are not going to make Jesus worse. If you're caked in mud and you come and hug me, I'm going to be caked in mud too. But we come to Jesus with your worst, as unclean as you are, whatever sin you are carrying. And Jesus doesn't give you the stiff arm. You don't make him unclean because he is dressed, he's dressed in righteousness, but eager to receive us wherever we are. I'll never forget a few years ago, there was a, a young man who had, he was making a lot of really poor decisions in his life and didn't know how or if he could ever be clean again. And he came to me and was talking about this. And, and we just walked through the Bible, walked through the gospel of Jesus and how Jesus can set us free. And when he was baptized, I'll never forget it, we came out of the water and the statement he made to me was, I feel pure again. And I bet there's some people in here today who the cry of your heart is, I want to be pure again. And the good news is when we come to Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, go clean yourself up and then come to me. And we'll talk about it. He says, come to me. And we're going to work on cleaning yourself up. I want to ask the elders and prayer leaders, if you will, go around the room to receive people for prayer. And we have a couple of songs we're going to sing. The tables are still open for you if you want to go and just write out or voice something in your life or a way God is working on you and cleansing you. It's just an outlet for you. If there's a need in your life or desire for someone today to be baptized into Christ, I invite you to come to the front. We have a couple of elders in the front who will receive you. And for the rest of us, can we stand and let's sing this song as a declaration to God.